0: Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 1, and then we're going to go back to the book of Acts. So the Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's go ahead and start with the word of prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the state that you've given us, Lord. And God, I pray that you be with this lesson tonight, Lord. I know it's a very introductory lesson, a lot of information kind of concerning uh, the backstory, the background of the uh, church at Ephesus Lord, I pray that you'd help us to gain some information that we need to gain tonight and learn what we need to learn. Uh, Lord, the Apostle Paul is a great ministry and has done uh, phenomenal things for you in that early first century. And most, much of the New Testament is accredited to his writings. And Lord, God, I pray that you'd help us to be the people that we are supposed to become. And God, I pray that you'd help us as we walk through this series the next several months and, and really throughout this whole year, that we discover our identity. Lord, our identity is not tied into the world and what the world says of us. Our identity should be tied into you, into Christ, as we'll discover in the next few weeks. Lord, we love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote this book in and around A.D. 61. I know many of you guys are very interested in those those dates. Uh, But the Apostle Paul, before he became a Christian, was who? What was his name before he became a Christian? Saul, yes. And as I I kind of mentioned a little bit on Sunday, Sunday morning, you know, before uh, Saul became a Christian, before his name was changed to Paul, he was a zealot, in a sense, if you will. He was a religious zealot. He knew a lot of things concerning the word of God. A lot of that didn't necessarily change, but what changed was his identity. He was no longer someone that was persecuting the Christians. He was now a Christian himself. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, again, it's broken down in two main sections. Part one is all about the gospel, understanding who we are in Christ. And part two is really on the practical side. Um, you know, the book of Ephesians is a very important book for many reasons. This is really one of the most formal books that the Apostle Paul writes. Uh, uh, many of his books are more informal. Uh, Second Corinthians, Galatians, they, they abound with personal touches from Paul, either about his own life or about the recipient's. Galatians offers some instructions particularly important to those churches that are overrun with legalism, and really that's kind of a still of a problem today. Uh, Many churches are kind of overrun with legalism, and this is how you should act instead of actually going to the Bible, and this is what the Bible teaches, Um, but if you really want to kind of give a summary of the book of Ephesians, it's really this, and we'll talk about this more next week when we have our notes. You're not who you used to be, so don't live like you used to live. That's really kind of a premise of the book. You're not who you used to be if you're a Christian. You're not who you used to be, so don't live like you used to live. But there's an important question that we're going to try to answer this year and kind of some introductory type stuff tonight, and the question is this, who do you think you are? I know it's kind of a funny question, but how many have ever been asked, who who are you? Anybody have ever asked that question? You know, we kind of asked that uh, this past Sunday. Um, The question, who do you think you are, is an identity-shaping, life-altering, eternity-affecting question. Our society likes to label people. Anybody ever been labeled in here tonight, good or bad? And I've got written up here on the board, I am, and I'm, we're going to answer this question here in just a few minutes, uh, but our society likes to put labels on people. How many have ever labeled someone incorrectly? Anybody? I thought about, you know, passing out those little name badges like, you know, my name is or whatever I am. I decided not to tonight. Uh, that could be very interesting to see who we are, but our society likes to label people, and sometimes, again, like it's good, it's bad, but our culture, as we've learned, can be very demeaning, can they not? Um, the church can be very demeaning, can it not sometimes? It, it very much can. Uh, family members, friends can be very harsh. Uh, we walk through life with labels on us, and we're trying to figure out who we are. So I want to quickly tonight, kind of setting the stage, answer this question or kind of fill in the blank tonight how would you fill in the blank with this? I am blank. And, and besides a Christian, let's try to fill in the blank tonight. Maybe it's rich, poor. Let's let's kind of give a one-word synopsis tonight. Who can help me? Jordan, thank you for raising your hand and volunteering. <laughs> Appreciate it. You should have saw her face. That was like awesome. That was awesome. I know. <laughs> My wife just left again, so I can't throw her under the bus. So uh, if you just kind of under here, just kind of write down some of these things. So uh, I'll kind of give you some illustrations of kind of what I'm looking for tonight. Besides, I am a Christian. Maybe you, no, people define you as I am rich. So we can just write rich or poor or things like that. So what are, what are some things that maybe uh, we can define ourselves in kind of a one-word synopsis? Yes. Crazy. Crazy. That's great. <laughs> Appreciate it. Now, remember, we are in church. I guess I should preface that a little bit tonight. We are online uh, on social media and Facebook and all that kind of stuff as well. Yes, Josh. Bipolar. Okay, all right. He's happy about that. He's excited. You keep it up? Yes. Yes. Christina? A mom. A mom. Very good. I'm not a mom, so that's good. Yes, Melissa? Blessed. It's very good. Leave it to one person to, have to be all spiritual tonight. So. Yes, Miss Linda? Happy. That's good. That's good. All right, Mia. Hilarious. Are you keeping up? I know. She's like trying to write very, very neat. Why? Why? Because she's
1: not neat. Oh, because
0: she's not neat? <laughs> she's trying very hard. All right. Yes. Sassy. Do you know how to spell that one? Where's, where's Google at? We can help you out there a little bit tonight. All right. Yes, Jenna? Silly. Yes, you are silly. Yes, Kelton? Stupid. Whoa. He said it, so I guess we'll write it. Aaron. what meanies. meanies mean okay i mean very good yes awesome, awesome. okay all right we got a lot of uh, very good people all right let's get some more adults let's get some more adults here now we got all the kids yes uh, nuts. nuts yeah that's that's true that's fitting very very fitting any adults tonight yes monica grateful that's good very good all right nate Silly. Yes, you are silly. You are silly. Yes. Know, humble. humble. Okay. Thankful. Thankful. Very good. What else? What are some things I am? Yes, Christy. Don't be surprised, but i, may tell you I'm being bossy. Bossy! I was about to i bossy. Bossy. How's that fall over? I'm just kidding. Where's your husband? Where's your kids? Anyone else tonight? Kenzie. Tired. Tired. Yes. Did you write that earlier? No. Who who wrote that? Justin? You wrote it? Okay, I, I figured this out. I knew it was someone. I, I am tired too. I've had like three energy drinks today and I'm still about to crash. So, anyway, either that or it's going to kick in. <laughs> who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? <coughs> All right, let's get a couple more adults. A couple more adults tonight. Anybody? Hungry? Hungry? What? I'm married to Dean. Married to Dean. That's, <laughs> enough said. Enough said. Yes. <laughs> hang on hang on all right Michael I know you want to say something creative creative, creative. very good Justin thanks for raising your hand appreciate it here. you're here I'm here that's good that's good Ron disciple <coughs> yes that's good I, I did choke on that I was like wait what a follower it just doesn't look right but Someone said boring. You said boring. <laughs> You're boring. All right, Marcus. I'm boring. Ram. Confused. I think most people are confused with what I'm doing. did I? <laughs> he saying, but he said remedial, he's depressed. depressed in what? Remedial. remedial. You have any idea? Good luck. <laughs> All right, Ethan. I'm crazy about pizza. Crazy about pizza. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> What? Not a morning person. <laughs> Daniel? <coughs> Sorry. Hungry for the preaching of God. Very good. All right, let's take one more or two more. Brother Don? I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That's good. Grand- Grandfather. you're Grandfather. so old. That's why you lost your hair, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, very good. All right. All, right. All right, good job, kids. Good job. Did you keep up? All right, good job. Let's give her a hand. That was, that was impressive. That was very impressive. You know, there's a lot of things that we can describe uh, Some Sometimes you can say, <coughs> man, I'm <am> struggling tonight. I <coughs> may have a cough drop. <coughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it through. <coughs> Sorry. You want a peppermint? Uh, I just need something. Actually, I have a peppermint, but if you have a cough drop, that would be great. Thank you. Didn't you give me one a couple weeks ago, too? Probably. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. Always carries halls on him. That's, that's, that's a good man right there. All right. Um, nobody said I'm a failure. Nobody thinks you're a failure? Nobody thinks you're successful? There's a lot of things, again, all right, quiet. There's a lot of things that we can define ourselves as, and, and the world likes to define us. <laughs> they like to put labels on ourselves. But the question, again, we're going to try to answer is, who are we? And it's more than just, who does the world say we are? Who does God say we are? Now, I want you to think about this tonight. And again, this is not necessarily indicative of a lot of people's lives, but we're, let's kind of walk through life because all through life, there's a lot of identity crisis things that happen in our life. Let me try to explain. It starts at a very young age when we're born. Uh, there's some questions that are key in shaping our identity. Uh, how, many do we, uh, how many here tonight are the firstborn? Anybody firstborn tonight? How many middle child, middle, middle children? All right, how many babies? Yes, all right. I'm one of those two. It's an exciting thing. What? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, get everything. I don't know what you're talking about. I was the only boy in my family, so I definitely did did get everything. Uh, But a lot of those things really kind of help shape our identity according to the world. Are we the firstborn? Are we the middle child? Are we the baby? All those things can be determining factors in finding out about ourselves. And oftentimes, we let those labels create an identity for ourselves that has been passed around down through our culture. Sometimes we're given a nickname from a family or friend that sort of defines us. Anybody have a nickname they want to share tonight? Anybody at all? (laughs) I know all the kids do, of course, but any adult want to share a nickname? Probably not. How many had a nickname as a child that you really would rather no one ever know? I think many of us, myself included, but the point I'm trying to make is sometimes we have those things happen to us, and it kind of defines us. It kind of creates an identity for us, for ourselves. But as we continue forward in life and we hit the teen years, it becomes incredibly complicated. We hit junior high, and we definitely have no idea who we are in junior high. Um, sometimes we get thrown into a new school. We have new relationships, new responsibilities, new authorities. All of these things and all these people are are giving input regarding who they think we are, at least who they think we should be. Suddenly, Things like clothes and hair and uh, makeup and things like that become important to us. Uh, some, sometimes, you know, we're asking things like, man, I can't wait till I hit my growth spurt. Some of you are still waiting on that to hit your growth spurt. We graduate school and then there's an identity crisis. Now we've got to become an adult. We've got to join the real world. But what if you're not prepared for those responsibilities? We ask questions like, what kind of job will I get? Will I make enough money? The answer is probably not. Uh, What kind of car will I drive? How will I pay my bills? Will I be in a relationship? Will I be single? Will I be married? Will I ever find love? All these kind of questions and these things consume our identity. Then comes something that is going to shake things up to the core. We get married. Again, this is not necessarily indicative of everyone, but this happens a lot of times. And then your identity quickly gets very confusing. How many of your identity got very confusing when you got married? Anybody? Some people don't want to admit that. That's okay. But it gets very confusing because marriage really is a collision. It's two people becoming one, is it not? It's supposed to be two people becoming one. And really, according to the Bible and according to the, the standards of God and his word, it should be a beautiful collision. But what happens too often in marriage is it becomes a messy train wreck, right? Because two people becoming one, that's a very difficult thing, is it not? Uh, because we have two different standards, two different uh, focuses for our lives, and we want this, and he wants this, and she wants this, and and it's hard for us to understand those things. Then we have children, and children get thrown into the mix, and then our identity changes even more. Uh, For the woman, it's very difficult because her whole appearance begins to change, which is truly altering and affects her identity. She becomes a mother, which again changes her identity. The man doesn't really know what's going on until the baby comes out, and he still doesn't know what's going on. But then his identity still changes because now he feels the weight of responsibility, or at least he should feel the weight of responsibility, becoming a father. And what typically happens is you go from being focused on each other in a relationship to what? Being focused on the child. The child becomes the center of your universe, the center of your orbit. That child dictates a lot of things. All of those things that used to define you are gone, and you have been drastically altered or affected in some way. Your kids get older, and suddenly they don't need you anymore like they used to. And some of us are waiting for that day. Some of us are like, I can't believe that day has already come. Then we hit the emptiness syndrome and season, and suddenly our identity is shaken again. We ask the question, who am I? Who are we? What's the center of our world? Why do we even try? We used to try to hold our marriage together and make money and be in church for the sake of our children, but now they're gone. So what are we doing? And I've seen many people, their lives end in divorce after the kids get out of the out of the nest, out of the home. Sometimes then it crashes into divorce, like I just said, because the idol, in a sense, has left the home. And there's nothing to hold the family together. Then maybe you're widowed, you're alone, your spouse is dead. Your children have grown up and they've moved away. Maybe they don't even live in the same city, the same state, or even country. And then there are grandchildren, and you're lucky to see them once a year during holidays. Your identity is in total crisis, total conflict and chaos all the time. How many ever feel like your identity is in total crisis sometimes in your life? I think many of us probably do. And Again, over the next few months, what we're going to be trying to do is realize that we have an identity crisis, and here's the key that we're going to try hard to focus on. There is a who that defines you. There's a who that the world says you are, and there is a who that God says you are. Our identity will continue to be shaken and altered until we understand who we are in God, And Ephesians is a great book for understanding who we are in God, who we are in Christ. I cannot wait until next week. I wanted to jump into it this week, but I felt the Lord leading in a different direction. But several times in the first couple chapters, it talks about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. As a Christian, we are in Christ. Our identity should be centered, focused around Jesus Christ. And if it's not, then there's something wrong. Then we're going to go through life always wondering, who am I? What defines me? Does does having children define me? Does does having a relationship define me? All of those things really should be secondary to our relationship with Jesus Christ. It should be, but most of the time it's not. So we've tried to ask the question, who are we? But really the better question to ask is this. What does God say or who does God say that you are? And again, I, I can't wait to dive deeper into this question over the next several months. Who does God say that you are? The city of Ephesus was a cosmopolitan city. If you want to kind of equate it to, to something in our, uh, in our day and age, you can kind of really combine New York City and Las Vegas and kind of combining them into one, and, and that's what Ephesus was. Uh, there were 230 cities that dotted the coastline of Asia Minor. Uh, Michael, you here? Yeah, throw up one of those maps for me if you would. Uh, I know it's kind of hard to see, uh, but Ephesus, that little pink area that says Asia, it's on the uh, left-hand side. Is that right? Yeah. The left-hand side of it. Get the, the mouse, kind of see? I had a pointer, but I forgot to bring it. Oh, it's not. All right. I'll, I'll get my pointer next week. But anyway, it's on the left-hand side of that little, uh, the little pinkish area that says Asia. So it's one of the coastline cities. Ephesus was a, was a great religious center uh, with a famous temple of the Roman god Artemis, it's uh, where the Temple of Diana was. How many have ever heard of the Temple of Diana? Uh, it was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, and really uh, very, very wicked, very pagan, very sensualistic society, uh, all about themselves. Um, Paul spent two years there establishing this church uh, with Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see three missionary journeys uh, that Paul took, and possibly a fourth one. Now, I want you to uh, go back to Acts chapter 18 with me. If you will, we're going to spend the next few minutes tonight kind of walking through the book of Acts, because before we really dive into Ephesians, much like I did with the Philippian study, I want us to go back to Acts and kind of see uh, where this church originated. So we're going to kind of walk through this now. The time and this is important, but the time is about A.D. 53. This is about 20 years after Jesus Christ had left the earth after he had resurrected from the dead, after his crucifixion. So here's the, here's, the, here's the significance with that. Many of those eyewitnesses that saw Jesus Christ are still alive. That's important. Christianity is exploding in the first century. Now, people are getting saved left and right, but with it, uh, there's a lot of uh, tyrannical rule where people are, uh, as they're becoming Christians, they're thrown into jail, they're beheaded, they're persecuted, but still Christianity is on the rise. Uh, people are, are, are realizing that their identity is not shaped with the world. It's shaped with Jesus Christ, and, and they're getting saved, and, and it's rapidly exploding. And here in chapter 18, we see kind of the start of things. In, in verse number 1, follow along with me if you would. After these things, Paul departed from Athens. Uh, they're in Greece and came to Corinth, uh, which, again, let's throw, throw the map back up there. Again, we have uh, that, that pink area, and then to the left of it, a Achaia, uh, which is kind of modern-day Greece, Uh, on the the green area, kind of where almost not quite uh, Italy and stuff like that. Uh, That's where Corinth was located. I meant to have this blown in a little little bit more, but I didn't. Uh, And and found a certain Jew named Aquila, sorry, born in Pontus, lately uh, come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft. Now, I know it's in this verse, but what craft did Paul have? A tent maker, yes, he made tents. Uh, that was his profession. So he, he got connected with Aquila and Priscilla, and they had the same craft. And I think maybe while he was there and maybe talking with them, maybe it was at that time they got saved. Maybe it was another time they got saved. But Aquila and Priscilla were very instrumental in uh, many of the churches kind of going forward, and especially this church at Ephesus. And he reasoned, or sorry, let me continue verse 3. And because he was the same craft, he abode with them. Uh, in raw for by occupation, they were tent makers, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So what he did was he went to the synagogue and he tried to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Now, as you probably understand, uh, a lot of people didn't like Christianity back in those days. A lot of people don't like Christianity today. So when Paul was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, completely different, completely opposite of that standard religious system of that day, of the law and, and forcing you to, to do certain things, people didn't like that. And when Silas and Timotheus and were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. Now remember, Jesus was a Jew himself. He came to the Jews, but the Jews, many of them, did not receive him. So he went to the Gentiles. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said to them, Your blood be upon your own head. This is very important. I am clean from henceforth. I will go to the Gentiles. So he tried to start preaching to the Jews, helping them understand what Jesus, who Jesus was and, and what Christianity was all about. But they opposed him. So then he decides to take his message to the Gentiles. Verse number eight, we see that he continues and Crispus. He's a chief ruler of the synagogue. He believed on the Lord. What's that mean? He got saved. He believed in the Lord and his house and many of the Corinthians hearing believe. Now that's important. That's imperative. And we're baptized. Then the Lord spake to Paul in the night by a vision. Now this is kind of where we see Paul as a human. Sometimes I think I look at the Apostle Paul and I think, man, man, he's just a superhuman. I mean, everything that he went through, I mean, I don't, I don't know how he did that. But we see that he is no different than us because then spake the Lord to Paul in night by vision. What's he say? Three, next three words. Be not, be not afraid. Do you think Paul was afraid? Yes. Why else would Jesus say be not afraid if he wasn't afraid? I think he was af- afraid and fearful because he had people that were opposing him. Anybody ever had someone oppose you? It kind of gets a little scary because then in your mind, you're thinking about anything and everything that could happen. Anybody like that? I play out like 1,600 scenarios in my mind of what could happen. Most of the time, it never happens. I'm thankful that it never happens, but I try to prepare myself adequately for these things. So Paul, I'm sure, was very fearful because the Jews hated him because he's preaching a message that's opposite of what they believe. So Jesus is trying to speak to him and, hey, be not afraid. Verse 10, "Uh, for I am with thee. No man shall set on thee to hurt thee. This is very uh, comforting words. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months. So how long is that? 18 months. Very good. A year and six months, 18 months. So here he is for 18 months. Uh, And he continued there teaching the word of God among them. Uh, Let's throw up that that map of the second journey. Again, I I know it's kind of hard to see. But Paul took three missionary journeys, and you kind of see the outline uh, for that. If you can kind of see it tonight and kind of where he's going Uh, over there in Syria, uh, on the right hand side towards the bottom, uh, there's a a city by the name of I just forgot it. What's that city, Michael? It's it's where it started. Antioch. Thank you. (laughs) I finally I finally figured out Antioch. This is where kind of Paul, uh, his his, uh, his start originated. It's kind of where his home church was at. So he's kind of started in Antioch and kind of went all around through, through Asia and then up to Macedonia and then, and then Achaia. And then obviously he crossed the Aegean Sea, which is that pink area, uh, Asia, is where Ephesus was at. So we kind of see the, uh, the, where he's going. But then let's get down to verse number 18. I know it's kind of a lot of information tonight, but again, this is very important uh, for the series to come. Uh, verse number 18. And Paul after this tarried there a good while. And then took leave of his brethren and sailed thence into Syria. So again, you can kind of look at the map and kind of see. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. So he brought them with him, having shorn his head in Centuria, for he had a vow. Uh, I don't know exactly what the vow was to make him uh, shave his head, but he did that. And he came to Ephesus. So now he comes to Ephesus and left them there. Who is the them that he left? Yes, Aquila and Priscilla. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So again, he goes to the synagogue. He's trying to teach and preach Jesus Christ. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not, but bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. So he wanted to go back to Jerusalem. But I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus, going back to Jerusalem. Now, There's a a gap in here. We don't necessarily know how long he was in Jerusalem before he went to Antioch and different places. Verse number 22. And when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country to Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the, the disciples. So on many of Paul's missionary journeys, sometimes it was to make disciples. Uh, to, to win the loss, but sometimes it was also to strengthen the disciples to encourage them. And that's kind of what he's doing here. Verse number 24, this is, this is important. Uh, and a certain Jew named Apollos. How many of you have ever heard of Apollos? Uh, yeah, in, in the book of Corinthians, it talks about Apollos. Now, Apollos was a very eloquent man. He was a Christian. The Bible says he was born in Alexandria. Anybody know where Alexandria is in modern day terms? Egypt. We know where Egypt's at in the, in, in the sense of the world. I don't have a map here tonight, but it's in Africa. So again, we're trying to understand that. Now, Alexandria was very well-versed in knowledge. So uh, Apollos, he, he learned, I think, Scripture there in, um, in Alexandria. So he was a Christian. He was saved. The Bible says he was mighty in Scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. This is important. And being fervent in the Spirit... He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So he's very eloquent. He knows the Bible. Uh, He's he's one of those charismatic figures that people just just love to hear his preaching and teaching uh, very diligent in the things of the Lord. But he only knows the baptism of John. Now, the baptism of John, again, this is important, is a is a, a message of Repentance. Uh, that's uh, it, uh, it's it's kind of what John was preaching before Jesus had come and Jesus had died on the cross. But when Jesus came, he brought with him. Yes, it was the message of repentance, but it was also bringing the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. So Apollos didn't have this understanding about what Jesus had actually come to do. He had knowledge of him. We didn't necessarily have knowledge of what Jesus had done. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. This is Apollos. To whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So this is important. So he knew some things concerning God. So he was doing his best to share the gospel with people. How many ever feel like in your life uh, you don't know everything about the Bible? Anybody feel like that tonight? Yeah, probably many of us. But the thing that I, I love about Apollos, he took what he knew and he shared it. And that's important for us tonight. Uh, and we've gone through these foundation classes. Many of us have gone through them. Many of us are going through them. And on the share class, that's what we try to get across. It doesn't matter if you have a theological degree. It doesn't matter if you know everything concerning the Bible. If you know something, if you know that Jesus died on the cross, Savior of your sins, if he's done a work in your life, you know what you should do? You should share that with people. And that's kind of what we see from Apollos. He didn't know everything. But he knew who Jesus was. He had heard about who Jesus was. So he's preaching the gospel, a gospel of repentance. And then Aquila and Priscilla kind of catch wind of, of him and realize that he doesn't know everything. So you know what they do? They decide, him, they decide to take him under their wing and, and they started the very first foundation classes. It's not in there. I'm just kind of being facetious. They started the very first foundation classes and they discipled them on Sunday nights and helped them understand the purpose is to grow fully committed disciples and the process is to connect, grow, serve, share. It's not in your Bible, but that's exactly what happened. I promise you. Not really. But what they did, though, they did disciple him because they tried to help him understand, as it says there in verse number 26, they expounded unto him what? The way of God more perfectly. They were trying to help him understand a little bit more of who Jesus was, that it was not just the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance, but it was also about the Holy Spirit indwelling in the life of believers. And another key that I see from Apollos, and this is very important, he wasn't so proud that he couldn't be taught. How many have ever known people that know a lot of information, and you try to give them anything, and you're like, I don't want to hear it? Yeah. Many of us probably can raise our hands or maybe even look at someone else. Yeah, that's, that's person, that person, that person. Try not to look at anyone tonight, please. But the thing that I see from Apollos, he had a well-versed knowledge of God. He had studied in Alexandria, and in this day, uh, that's where the, Alexand- the, the library of Alexandria was. He had a well-versed knowledge of God, but he realized he didn't know everything about God. So he was willing to learn, and he wasn't so proud that he could not be taught. He was willing to learn from this dedicated disciple, from, the, from this dedicated couple. We continue in verse number 27. And when he had disposed to pass into Kai, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much when he had believed through grace. He understood what the grace of God was all about, because Paul preaches a lot about the grace of God and not just about the law for he mightily convinced the Jews in that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So he took the knowledge that he had, he learned a little bit more, he took that and he went to Achaia, which is where Corinth was. Now we don't know a lot about Apollos, but what we do know is became, he became very popular. In the book of Corinthians, it talks about, Paul was even trying to address this, where he says uh, some of the people were kind of uh, dividing into, into factions, basically saying, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I don't even remember that passage where they're kind of splitting themselves up. And really, Paul was trying to help them understand that it's not necessarily you're of this camp, you're of this camp. We're all under Christ. We're all of Christ. Here's here, let, me, let me try to help you with this. It doesn't matter who led you to the Lord. That's important. Don't, don't get me wrong. Someone might have led you to the Lord, but someone else might have discipled you. They're both important. You know, we have a church that That's very unique, and a lot of churches are like this, but a lot of people in this church have come from another church. How many have come from another church? Like, a lot of people in here tonight. So here's the thing that Paul was trying to get across to the Corinthians, and it's really a good, good understanding for us as well. Some people, it's their job to plant. Some people, it's their job to water. But what's God's job? To give the increase. And that's the important thing. Some people plant, some people water, but God gives the increase. So it should not be a competition even with us. If, if you have an opportunity to lead someone to the Lord, that is great. And you should try to disciple them, but maybe you're not the one that should disciple that person. Maybe someone else because they have a little bit more knowledge. But we shouldn't be all get our feelings hurt like, man, that person, they're, they're discipling them, and, and, and now they're going to they're gonna stick with them. Who cares? God's the one that's going to give the increase. And that's what Paul was trying to get across and you know I've had an opportunity to lead many people to the Lord and, and I'm thankful for that. And one thing that I even try to do now, I've got several staff guys. I try to direct people to them because I want them to get a blessing too. But I also know that they might be instrumental in their salvation. They also might be instrumental in their in their discipleship, but someone else might be instrumental in their discipleship. So we need to understand that it doesn't really matter. We're all on the same team here. It's just it's God's job to give the increase. And I want to encourage you tonight as we continue on in the, in the next several passages, but never get jealous over the fact that God is using someone else to reach and reach the lost and grow disciples. Again, we, we looked around, and, and we've all come from different backgrounds. We've all come from different churches. You know, I even think about that often, and I, and I think about this. As long as the gospel is going forward in Decatur, man, I, I commend those other preachers and those pastors. They might not do the things that we do, and that's okay. Maybe their job, maybe you came from a church where you were planted. <laughs> and maybe you come here and you get watered. That's okay, as long as God has given the increase. So if, if pastor so-and-so down the road has been instrumental in your life, thank God for that. Don't berate the man. Don't get belittle the man. Understand that. Don't, don't break yourself in the camp. Well, I'm, I'm a pastor Chris. I'm a pastor this, pastor that. No, we're all of Christ. And that's what really Paul is trying to get across to a lot of the church: is that we are of Christ. Just do what God called you to do, and that's important. As we continue to Acts chapter nineteen, uh, we can throw the map back up there. The third missionary journey. Uh, Paul starts his third missionary journey again. I know it's a lot of information. I'm kind of quickly going through this tonight. Verse number one. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, uh, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So uh, Paul found disciples. Of, of Jesus that were led to the Lord under Apollos' ministry. But you don't see Paul getting mad like, I can't believe you got saved under Apollos and not under my ministry. He was just there to try to strengthen them and develop them. And he asked the question, he said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we have not. So much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. So it was his job to explain that to him, to help them understand. And really Acts chapter 19 is an explanation of the opposition that Paul went through in his ministry and that he encountered there in Ephesus. Uh, flip down to uh, verse number, verse number ten, verse number ten. Then we're going to skip down to verse number eighteen. And this continued by the space of two years. So Paul is now in Ephesus for two years. So that all they which dwell in Asia, let's read this together. Heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. This is important. While Paul was there for two years, not saying everyone got saved. But everyone heard the word of the Lord. And that's that's important. And I pray that however long the Lord has me here, I pray that all of Wise County would be able to hear the word of the Lord through the ministry of Eagle Drive Baptist Church. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Let's skip down to verse number 18. And this is exciting. The Bible says, And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Remember, this was a very pagan society, Ephesus, and we'll talk more about this next week. Very pagan society. Uh, the Temple of Diana was there, which is basically there was a lot, a lot of prostitution, a lot of sensuality there in Ephesus. Very wicked culture. But many people, uh, this, this culture was also big into um, uh, magic and uh, different things like that. But many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together. This is important because the Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, right? Once you're saved, you shouldn't be the same person you were, right? You should be someone different, and we see that here. Many of them also, which use curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men because they realized it's not Jesus plus everything else, right? It's Jesus and nothing else. But a lot of times people become Christians or they get saved, and they try to add Jesus on to the life that they're already living. I'm here to tell you that is not going to work. That is setting yourself up for failure. And many people, and I believe they're Christians, but many people have done that. Instead of giving their life completely to God, they add Jesus to the life they're already living. Let me know how that works out for you. Because I promise you, it will not work out very good. If you're involved in, in horrible things and you just, well, I got saved and I'm just going to add Jesus, and you continue living that lifestyle, you're not truly going to change and grow the way that you need to. But uh, this, this is pretty cool. And they burn them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, there's a lot of discrepancy as to how much this equates to in the modern dollar, because we don't know this, if this was silver in the, in the Greek standard or the Jewish standard or the, the Roman standard or whatever. But I, I've read some, some um, commentaries where they believe it could be upwards to twenty thirty thousand $30,000 worth of stuff. It could even be more. I'm not really sure, but just imagine that you get saved. You bring all of the wicked things in your life together, and you just burn them. And all the people that, that came, I mean, there's twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of stuff. That's that's a lot of material. That's a lot of a lot of stuff that you've you've invested in. I mean, you know, there's been times where we've gone to camp when I was when I was a teenager, and uh, how many of you ever had one of those like bonfires? You come back and you burn, you know, certain things. Uh, some of you have. Uh, we did that. You know, you, you burn back in those days. You know, tapes. Or some of you like the eight tracks or. <laughs> Never mind. I'm just stop right there. But it's kind of kind of the same kind of the same philosophy. They realize that we can't just add Jesus to everything else. So we're going to get rid of it and we're going to commit our lives to Jesus. And then this is great. Verse number 20. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Why do you think the word of God grew so much? Anybody? Yeah, they got rid of the, the other lifestyle that they should no longer be a part of. And that's important and imperative in the Christian life. We can't, again, add Jesus to everything else that we're doing. And as a Christian, it's very easy, isn't it, to continue to add those things back into our life, isn't it? Yeah, it is for all of us. And, and I struggle with that sometimes. But I believe the word of God grew and prevailed so much because they realized that Jesus was enough. He was their sufficiency. He is all that they need. And then we continue on, and we're not going to read all of it for sake of time. But when you read the rest of chapter 19, what happened was the people there in Ephesus didn't like this. Because all of those things that they used to buy, that they used to have, uh, even look down at verse number 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen. So all of the things that he was making and selling, he made a, a good living from there. But then he didn't like it because now they weren't buying it anymore. Now they were burning it all. So he's mad. He's upset with Paul. Others are upset with Paul. So Paul meets a lot of opposition in the rest of chapter 19. Eventually, he leaves the city. And as best we know, it's not necessarily here, but chapter 20, early part of chapter 20, he leaves Timothy behind. And Timothy, I believe, is the pastor there at that church in Ephesus. But let's skip down to chapter 20, verse number 17. Chapter twenty, verse number seventeen, the Bible says, "And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church." So, uh, this is important. So, Paul, he's he's already gone away from Ephesus. He's been there a few years. Uh, he's helped start the church, and now he's he's coming back in the direction of Ephesus, which Miletus is um, is, is. Or sorry, verse number seventeen. Uh, and yeah, from Miletus, he, he called the elders uh, t- together. He didn't necessarily go to Ephesus, but he called them to Miletus. So he basically had this, um, this um, oh, what am I trying to say? Um, meeting, basically, in a sense. Kind of a leadership training meeting. So he gets all the leaders, all the elders from the church there at Ephesus. He brings them together. And what he's going to try to do over the next couple verses is just kind of impart some final wisdom and knowledge. Because he knows that his life is going to be ending soon. Uh, because he's, he's a wanted man because of what he preaches. Verse number 18. And when they were come to know him, or sorry, when they were come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day uh, that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying uh, to wait of the Jews and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. But I've showed you and I've taught you publicly. He's basically saying, I've given you everything that I can Uh, from house to house. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Verse number 22. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. Going back to Jerusalem. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to be pretty. Save the Holy Ghost. Uh, witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count on myself, or sorry, neither count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. Paul wanted to finish what he started, and he wanted to finish joyfully. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25. And now behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching and Uh, The kingdom of God shall see my face no more. So this is his final speech. This is his final farewell. And as you can imagine, it's probably a very emotional time. He's invested in these people. These people grew to love Paul. Wherefore, I take to you the record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Why does he say this? Because he's done everything in his power to preach Jesus Christ. Some believe, some didn't believe but he's done his best to preach Jesus Christ and taken every opportunity. And really, we can stop right there and focus on that. We don't have a lot of time, but can we say that of ourselves? I am pure from the blood of all men. I've done everything I can to preach and teach Jesus Christ. Most of us probably couldn't say that. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, not just picking and choosing. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and do all the flock. So here he's passing the ton over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Verse 25, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul, in a sense, was kind of being a prophet because he knew, and this happens in churches too, if you don't continue in discipleship, if you don't continue in the word and growing in the word and getting deeper planted in the word, then what's going to happen is someone's going to come in that has a little bit of knowledge of the Bible, but has a false doctrine, and you're going to believe that if you're not grounded in what you believe. So Paul is saying, beware because when I'm gone, others are going to try to attack. Grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They can care less. All they care about is themselves. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them, to try to get the disciples of Christ and try to follow them. We see this in churches today. Where people that we thought were grounded, something happened to them and someone got a hold of them. Someone got their ear. In a sense, they were a grievous wolf and they led them astray. How many know people that have been led astray? I like think many of us, right? Verse 31, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Every day for three years, I warned you. I, I cried for you. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. I didn't do it for earthly gain. That's important. Some preachers do things for earthly gain, but Paul's ministry wasn't about that. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them which were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. And to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more what? Blessed to give... Than to receive, and that's important. Verse 36. I love this. I love this picture here. And when he had thus spoken, after he imparted this final challenge to them, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. So he has a prayer meeting. Isn't that an amazing picture? Prayer is important. You know, that's why we, we try to have different prayer meetings in our church, and that's why we started the Upper Room Prayer before our Sunday morning services because I realized the power of prayer that it has on the life of a, of a child of God. I don't know we pray individually, but there's nothing like coming together and praying with God's people. And that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's, he's getting them all together and he kneels down and he prays with them all. And they all wept sore, verse 37, and fell on Paul's neck and, and kissed him. Because again, this is the final time that they're gonna see him. They're, they're sad, they're sorrowful. Verse 38, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. I mean, it'd be like in a sense, you, you have someone that, that you, you love and, and they love you and maybe, they're, maybe they've been your mentor or maybe they've been uh, someone that's discipled you and, and helped you through life and, and they're basically telling you, I'm leaving and you're never gonna see me anymore. It's gonna be a sad time. So they're sad and they accompany him to the ship and they, they, they basically saw him off there. You know, not long after this, Paul was imprisoned at Rome in A.D. 61, and he was placed under house arrest. Remember, this all started back in 53, uh, A.D. 53, when the church kind of was established there. And many of the letters that Paul wrote were, were letters written in prison. He was released and then traveled again for about a year before he was arrested a second time by Nero. And then later he was martyred. But after the book of Acts, the letter to the Ephesians, the next time the church of Ephesus is mentioned is in what book? Revelation. I want you to turn quickly. Again, this is kind of a lot of introductory stuff tonight, but I kind of wanted to set the stage of what's to come. Turn to Ephesians uh, chapter number six, the very last chapter of this book. Ephesians chapter number six, verse number 24. Ephesians chapter six, verse number 24. What was the reprimand for the church of Ephesus in Revelation? Anybody remember what the reprimand was? Somebody said it, What? They lost their first love. Notice what Paul says here at the end of chapter twenty or chapter 6, verse 24. And we'll get to this probably at the end of the year when we finally finish this study. Grace be with them all that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. You know, it's interesting to note, but the last thing that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus is this. Don't lose your first love. And what happened about 20 years later? John is writing, you've lost your first love. Everything we do here at Eagle Drive Baptist Church should be centered around our love for Jesus Christ. Everything we do should be centered around our love for Jesus Christ. And the moment we stop loving is the moment we stop living. And what I mean by that, if we stop loving God, if we stop doing things out of love for him, then we're going to be no different than the church of Ephesus a church that was strong. And really, when Paul wrote this letter to them, this was a thriving church. The Lord has done a lot of great things at Eagle Drive Baptist church uh, this past year. And I believe we're on the marks of being a thriving church. And, and really, we, we have uh, healthy church uh, tendencies. But the moment we lose the reason for it all, love for Christ, doing things out of love, you know what's gonna happen? We're gonna turn into Ephesus. We don't have to. But how many have seen churches that have once been a growing, thriving, dynamic church that have declined so much? And a lot of times it's because they're doing things out of duty, out of obligation, instead of out of love. And it's very easy for us to fall into that. It's very easy for us to, man, I'm excited, I'm growing, but then all of a sudden something happens and it gets us off track. And then we just go through the motions. There's a difference between serving out of duty, out of obligations, and serving out of love. There's a difference in a church member who is here for themselves versus a church member who is here for others. And we're talking about this in 301 specifically right now. There's a difference in a church member who has the attitude of, I will, versus the attitude of, I want. And many times this attitude creeps into the churches. This is what I want, pastor. This is what you can do for me instead of, I will. How can I serve? You know, I believe this can be a truly special year for Eagle Drive Baptist Church, for our church family. There's certain things that I'm praying specifically for for this ministry, but this growth that we see and the spirit that we see will only continue if our love for Christ continues. We can never get away from doing things out of love for God and a desire for Him. Our service to God should never be in order to, it should always be because of. And what's the because of? Because of our love for him. Our love for Christ must compel us. And really, this is setting the stage of what's to come. But our love for Christ must always compel us. And if the love for Christ does not compel you, you need to get on your hands and knees and pray that God would help you have a love for him again. What happens in marriages sometimes when they end a divorce, well, I just fell out of love with him. I don't love him anymore. Same thing happens in Churches. We all say we have a love for God, but if we're just going through the motions, it's hard to have a love for God. Our love for Christ must compel us. And we're gonna see this more in the weeks to come. Our love for Christ is where we gain our identity. And I do not want you to miss, especially next week as we jump into chapter one, the first two verses. I know this is a lot of information tonight, kind of went backwards, but this is really gonna be a great study. I'm so excited about this study. So please, 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 Do not miss next week as we look at chapter one, verses one and two, and see what we are in Christ, specifically what God has called us to be.